What tools are available to help diagnose VTE? In the second episode of Critical Conversations on Venous Thromboembolism, a master class series on DVT and PE, Drs. Cohen and Dottelzweig review evidence-based tools for predicting and diagnosing VTE and present a patient case with changing clinical variables to highlight how DVT and PE can be accurately detected in a timely manner. Access the full series and complete the post-test for credit at peerview.com forward slash HBR 860. So welcome to episode two, tools for quickly unmasking VTE. So we need to discuss what a clinician, so that's physician or APPs in the U.S. very commonly, and especially whether you're in the primary care setting in the office, in the emergency department, or in the hospital as a hospitalist, that what they may see to better recognize it. And we'll also talk about some of the tools, the important tools and tests that we can use to evaluate these patients at risk for DVT and PE. So let me start by presenting a case, Ava. And Ava is a 47-year-old female. She has severe calf pain, began a couple of days ago, two days ago, in her right leg. She flew back from Bangkok, Thailand to New York City three days ago. And as far as her medical history and physical exam, they're pretty notable. She has a heart rate of 92. Her respiratory rate is 20. O2 sat is 97% on room air. And she's afebrile. Her blood pressure is normal at 132 over 77. She has a BMI of 24.2 and a GF, EGFR of 75 cc's per minute. Now, if you note her calf measurement, the right is greater than the left by five centimeters and her entire right leg is swollen with some localized tenderness and edema. She doesn't have any history of DVT or cancer. She's a non-smoker for the past 12 years and she is on some oral contraceptives and an oral uh, MBI. So, how might this present? Most, most notably, the symptoms could be the classic pain. It could be swelling, some, some warmth. But on exam, we don't typically rely on the old-fashioned homans per se, but looking at edema, looking at whether the collateralization, dilated superficial veins are notable, you might have some warmth and tenderness along the course of the vein is important. So what do, you, what do we look at to establish such a diagnosis? Well, one of the earliest um, or most useful is to look at somebody's pretest probability. And we have notably the, Peter, the Wells score, and it could be low, could be moderate, or it could be high probability of, of VTE. So it would be helpful, if Dr. Coleman, if you would take us through a little bit of the Wells score and how you're utilizing it and what our, our uh, audience should be mindful of. Yes, thank you, Steve. So the main Wells scores are for DVT and PE in non-pregnant adults because they have better sensitivity and specificity in non-pregnant adults. And really, it's just a scoring system. You can get points uh, and you add up all the points. And for the DVT, it can be defined as likely or unlikely, and for the PE, it can be defined as low, moderate, or high probability. And have, have you found, you see, when we've um, incorporated into REMR, which is EPIC, um, we use EPIC, we've used the MD Calc, and we've weaved that into many of our clinicians throughout the continuum 
I don't know how you, if you've done the same, but I, I found that extremely helpful. We use a, a number of uh, electronic uh, factors and we do have guidelines online that you could assess and we do use MD Calc and other things, but we, 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 we hope to catch up with what you're doing in the States with the integration of these things into, um, into EPIC. Uh, we, we also uh, have the D-dimer tests are really useful for ruling out. So if you've got low probability with a low D-dimer or negative D-dimer test below the upper limit of normal, then you can rule things out. But it doesn't help you rule things in. So if your D-dimer is high or your moderate or high probability, then you've really got to go on and perform imaging. The um, ASH guidelines in 2018 has helped us uh, with this also for diagnosing lower extremity DVT using once again a pretest probability that uh, then tells you whether to go on to D-dimer for low probability or scanning for higher risk patients. I guess the next question we need to deal with is what happens if Ava presented with some symptoms consistent with pulmonary embolism, Steve? What happens if she had shortness of breath with worsening exhaustion, exertion? She had a, a fever, um, 99.4, which you can get with a thrombosis. Now her respiratory rate is still up. It's 20. That may be due to pulmonary disease on this case rather than anxiety. And she's got chest pain on deep inspiration. Nothing else has changed for her apart from her symptoms. And the question is, what does PE look like in clinical practice? And what's your view on this, Steve? Yeah, so poor Ava now has the, the classic pleurisy. She has pleuritic chest pain and with PE. And this is a, and you know, one area that the folks in primary care should be very mindful of. While we do expect shortness of breath and chest pain, and you'll see that 78, 45% of the time. But I also want to put forward that um, folks have thought about some from the past few years uh, from Dr. Prandoni's work about syncope and, or pre-syncope. And in the context of someone who you're seeing in primary care and they're presenting of syncope and you conduct your D-dimer or you, you conduct your, uh, uh, your well score and you've, so you've done your workup and it's negative and you do those tests. And if that D-dimer is at least four, you should just have it in the back of your minds in primary care. Could this be um, a pulmonary embolism? And then you might pr proceed with the right diagnostic test to make yeah. that determination. Yeah, fully agree, Steve. Thank you. And then, you know, the, the classic or the pathognomonic that we speak about with uh, pulmonary embolism is the S1, Q3, T3 pattern. But really, the most common that you'll see in our in the ED or in primary care uh, is going to be a sinus tachycardia. And that's what I want people to be mindful of. It's good to look for the S1Q3T3 classic, but for life, sinus tach. That's what uh, I want you to come away with in this regard. And then as um, Anders shared, the, the DVT uh, ASH guidelines from 2018, they're very similar as it relates to the PE. You have a low or intermediate suspicion, well, certainly the D-dimer would have its uh, place for highly sensitive assay, especially in the low setting, to exclude pulmonary embolism. You don't need to go further. But in the context that it's um, specifically, if it's, especially if it's high, that's when you need a CT 
um, angiogram, and then that's positive, then we, we're going um, into, into a treatment mode. Now, we mentioned a well score. There are other scores that are out there for PE. You might choose to use the Geneva score. The Geneva score is essentially as accurate as the wells, and perhaps it's less reliant on the experience of the clinician applying that rule. What do you think about that, uh, Andrew, between the Geneva or the wells? Huh? Do you have a preference? Um, not really. I think they're both excellent scores. I, I think the, 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 the wells has been accepted more uh, universally, and that's what we tend to use in, in our uh, hospital. But I think they're both very good scores. Yeah. And the Geneva has a, at least the, the, um, the modified one, a little bit more objectivity. So it helps um, in, in that regard, I found. Um, the the PESI, that's the Pulmonary Embolism Severity Index. Um, all should be utilizing this. Um, it's also available at MDCal, but you could have it. Uh, uh, essentially what it is, is it's, it's a point uh, that you assign. You get one point for every year you've been on this planet. You get an extra 10 points if you're a guy. And then there's some other gradation of the point score. And really when you aggregate those points, you get put into a risk class. And if you're in the lower risk class from a one, as opposed to all the way up to a five, the one could often be managed in the outpatient setting, whereby folks who once you get to a higher risk class where they have associated higher 30-day mortality, we, it really dictates an inpatient management for at least some period of time. And that's the unabridged, if you will, PESI score. And then there's others. And Dr. Cohn, I know you have a preference for it. The simplified press PESI from what we've talked about previously. Yeah, I like it. I think the SPESI, the SPESI score, as it's known, um, is derived derived from the PESI score. Uh, basically, if you get a point, you're high enough risk to stay in hospital. And if you don't get a point, you can go home. So it makes it a little bit easier. And of course, um, you know that is something that is used by the European Society of Cardiology for their determination of how you manage a patient. So in conclusion, Steve, I think we've established how to use evidence-based strategies and tools to diagnose DVT and PE. And just at the end there, we've discussed really the PESI or SPESI score, which is really how to risk assess a patient once you've diagnosed PE. And in our next episode, we're going to really talk about treatment and how to individualize treatment plans. This activity is certified by PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Download the slides and practice aids for this episode and others at peerview.com forward slash HBR 860. Be sure to listen to all eight episodes in this masterclass series and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash HBR 860. This activity is supported by an educational grant from the Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer Alliance.